Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions. I'm Pastor Summerall, the pastor of the Cathedral of Praise. And thank you for the privilege of allowing me to just come into your home every morning during this lockdown period. It's kind of like I have a captive audience, I admit. But thank you for allowing me the privilege of coming into your home and just reading the Bible with you and praying together. Now, be happy that I don't sing with you also. As you know, my singing is not the greatest thing in the universe by far. But in the mornings, I just like to read my Bible and I'll break into song and I'll pray and I just enjoy Jesus. Doing things a little bit more structured with you and thank God we've got CAD helping us out with the music. But let's just turn our hearts in prayer right now. We we don't know what all of the new presidential uh, powers act accomplished last night. We don't know what all of this means. I'm sure they'll be telling us more in the next coming days, working out the implementing guidelines. But let's just be submissive and cooperative with the government right now. Yesterday, there was a big commotion on our street because some lady wanted to go jogging and there were three poor policemen out there patrolling, trying to tell her that she couldn't go jogging and she was just, oh. And everybody heard it, my friends. I know we're all frustrated right now. I know we've all given up a lot of the things that we like to do. That's, that's life right now. We can handle this, we can go through this, this is going to pass and it will be well with us. But you know, these policemen and these guards and things, folks, they're just trying to do their job. Let's be cooperative and let's have submissive hearts with them in Jesus' name. Father, we come to you today Submission is not an action, Lord, it's a state of the heart. I pray for every one of our people that we have submissive hearts toward governing authorities. Father, our people will be cooperative with all of the barangays. Father, even when we see other people not cooperating and then we think, well, why should we? Lord, let our hearts be submissive. Even when our heads are not, let our hearts be submissive. And Father, I thank you that you are the shield of your people. The Lord is all of our frontliners, our bankers, our doctors, our nurses, our med techs, our guards, our policemen, our military men. Fathers, they go out, those that work in the grocery stores. Father, every day they're out there. You promised in your word in Psalms 91 that you would give your angels charge concerning them to guard them in their way. Father, be the guard, be the guard, especially of those that are working in the hospitals right now, Lord, and caring for people. Be their guard, Lord. Let the faithfulness of God be their shield. Let the faithfulness of God and the love of God surround them like a cloud of glory that no coronavirus can penetrate. Father, we know that there's a spiritual element to all of this. Let your hand be upon your people. And Father, this morning as we open our hearts to you, touch our hearts, teach us. Incline our hearts to your word. Give us understanding of your word. Father, your word is life. Lord, give us understanding. Teach us your ways, Lord, that we can walk in them. Not just what you do, but why you do it, Lord. Teach us your ways. And Father, receive our hearts of worship now. Father, one of the greatest things we can ever do is minister unto you. We come to bless your name this morning. We, we come to minister to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's open up our hearts now in worship.
Every morning we open with Psalms chapter 91. Psalms 91, beginning with verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness, his faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked because, cause and effect, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the most high who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. And again, every morning I say it, I love that. Shall be allowed to befall you. For he will command his, no, to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. There's the promise for the frontliners. On their hand, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the adler, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now let me talk to you practically for just a minute and then we're going to have a little bit more worship. I want to talk to you about this is the second week. I mean today's what day 10 of lockdown and in day 10 of lockdown well it's different than it was on day one and two. Day one and two it was kind of hey this is fun I get to stay home. Day 10 mm. Now, let me just give you a few cautions in this time. You need to be very careful the visitors you allow in your home. Now, physical visitors as well as spiritual visitors. Physical visitors, there are going to be people who are unscrupulous, say, oh, I'm a Christian. Can I come hold a Bible study in your house? No. Number one, either these are proselyting churches that are taking advantages of people being locked down. And you know what? You don't need somebody you don't know in your house right now. You need to protect your family. Okay, number two, it could be somebody who says, oh, I want to come and fumigate your house for free. I'm here representing the barangay, you know, but they're thieves and a lot of that's been going on. So I encourage you, be careful the visitors that you let in your house right now physically. But even more importantly, be careful the spiritual visitors you allow in your house right now. In times like this, when people are in isolation, this, this is when a lot of deception takes place. Let me say that again. This is when a lot of deception takes place. Your normal routine, your normal security of friends who keep you in check and balance, your iron sharpening iron, so to speak, that, that's not around. So be careful, the, the spiritual visitors. I, I would not be watching cults on television just because you're bored. You're mindlessly leaving a TV set on and listening to things that you know those people don't serve God. You know those people are cults. You know those people are sons of Satan. So why are you listening to it out of boredom? Seeds get planted in your heart. You know, be careful the websites that you pass around. 
You know, I know everybody's looking for things for kids, but there's a, people passing around this Latter-day Saints website with children's programming. Well, please forgive me, but Latter-day Saints is not traditional Orthodox Christianity. Their, their plan of salvation and what we believe as evangelical Christians as a plan of salvation is very, very different. And you don't want your kids indoctrinated with stuff that's going to confuse them later. So you want to be a little careful. There's lots of wonderful Christian stuff out there to pay attention to. There's lots of wonderful Spotify music to listen to. We put some stuff up for you later or earlier. Uh, there's wonderful websites out there that you can be studying and learning. And let this be a productive time. Now, one last thing, on a practical note. You know, I watched some members of my family be destroyed by what I call secret sin. And the Bible speaks of secret sin. These are sins that nobody else knows about but you. But you, they're very much a part of your life, and you're very much in bondage to them. No, Pastor Samuel, Jesus has set me free. Oh, yeah, right. Paul says, whatever you yield yourself to, that you become a slave to. And he's writing to believers. Some of you have yielded yourself to pornography or to alcohol or to marijuana. or the, the secret sins that nobody knows about. Your parents don't know. Your wife doesn't know, your husband doesn't know. You, you've yielded yourself to some stuff and you've always been able to keep it hidden because you're moving around a lot. But now with the family all together, all the time, the pressure of that thing is growing in you. One of the, the words that describes temptation is tiblo, T-H-I-L-B-O, it's an external pressure. And right now you're feeling a lot of pressure on your life with these secret sins. See, secret sins require space. And right now in lockdown, there is no space. Say, well, Pastor, what am I going to do? Now is the time to get free. Now is the time to get free. Maybe just tell your family, you know, I'm, I'm going to fast for a couple of days here. I want to be free. There's, I just want to... I want to grow in God. I want to fast for a couple of days. You don't need to have big conversations about it, but just get free. Let me pray for you right now. If there's secret sin in your life and the pressure of that thing's boiling in you, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, in the authority of Jesus' name, I break the power of sin that has gripped their life. This sin that has them in bondage, Lord, and has them in condemnation. I break the power of that thing in Jesus' name. Let freedom come to their life, Lord. Let the oppressed be free in Jesus' name. Let their willpower be restored. Let the strength and the pressure of this thing be broken off of their life in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's open up our hearts now and spend some more time in worship.
Luke chapter 8, beginning with verse 22 today. One day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let's go to the other side of the lake. So they set out and they sailed. He fell asleep. And a windstorm came down from the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. Now, let me just stop there. Have you ever had God tell you to do something, and then you're out in the middle of doing it, and disaster strikes? <laughs> now, please forgive me. That's how some of you feel right now. In January, you launched your new business. You launched your new family business. And then the volcano hit, and now the, the coronavirus hits. And you're going, Jesus, <laughs> please, my friends, when you're walking in obedience, it's going to be okay. He didn't say, uh, let's go out to the other side. Let, let's go out and drown. He said, let's go to the other side of the lake. He didn't tell you to start that business and say, all right, I want you to go and lose all your money. That's not what he said to you. As long as you're walking in obedience, it will be well with you. Let's go to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. Now, now, that's an interesting truth. They sailed, he slept. Now, there's a truth here that you need to, get a, need to get a hold of. Notice, Jesus didn't run the boat. Jesus didn't need to be in charge all the time. And this is a great truth for all leaders. Jesus did not need to be in charge all the time. He was very happy letting them be in charge while he took a nap. He'd been working before. He did what he could do and what he was good at, and now they did what they could do and what they were good at. They'd grown up there on the, on the sea. They were expert fishermen. They were expert in boats, and so they, they did what they knew how to do. Now, leaders, you don't always have to be in charge. You don't always have to be the one out front. You don't always have to be the one doing all the work. Do what you're good at. Let other people do what they're good at. That's what Jesus did. They sailed and he fell asleep. And as the windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. Now notice, it's not just the storm. They've got consequences from the storm. They've got water in the boat. Now, sometimes when you go through hard circumstances, you understand the circumstances are not just on the outside. There's an effect being felt inside where you are. And they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? Now just stop there and park for a moment. Notice Jesus did not grab a bucket and help them scoop out the water. That's, that's not what Jesus did. Instead, what Jesus did was, okay, stop the wind, stop the waves. Let's stop the causes before we deal with the symptoms. The symptom. The, the consequence is water in the boat. The cause is the wind and the waves. Now, when you come to God and you're in the middle of a crisis, don't expect him to stop the consequences first. There's water in my boat. Expect him to stop the causes first so the things don't get any worse. You can always get the water out of the boat, but as long as there's more water coming into the boat, you've got a problem. So what Jesus did was he said, all right, let's stop the wind, let's stop the waves, and then you boys can scoop the water out, okay? Oftentimes when we're in crises, when we're in the storms of life, God takes care of the sources of the problem, but he lets us clean up the consequences. Where is your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water? 
and they obey him. Then they sail to the country of the Gerasenes. Now this is on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. This would be on the city, on the side of the Sea of Galilee where the 10 cities, the Decapolis is located. This would be on the side of the Sea of Galilee that was Gentile and heathen. This is not on the conservative religious section of the Sea of Galilee, which is opposite Galilee. And Jesus had stepped out on land and there he met a man from the city. This would have been one of the Decapolis, one of the 10 cities who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. Now, I want you to begin to notice effects of demon possession, <laughs> isolation. <laughs> you say, Pastor, are we all possessed now? No, you know what I'm teasing you about. No social interaction. There was no family, there were no friends. He was in total isolation. he had not lived in a house. He had no clothes. Remember after Adam and Eve fell, the first thing God did was give them clothes, gave them back dignity. See, when, when demons possess a person, there's no dignity, there's no sense of shame. Demons take away a sense of shame. That's right. You, you'll see demon-possessed people that seem to have no conscience. They seem to have no sense of shame. No sense of shame, no sense of dignity. But among the tombs he lived. Now, demons love to live among death and the symbols of death. Now, young people, Straight talk. I really struggle with a lot of these symbols of death that young people want to tattoo on their bodies and want to glorify, like skulls and things like that. My, my friends, please, these are symbols of death. We are people of life. We're, we're very different than this world. And one of the marks of an increase in demon possession that you see in society are all these symbols of death, but among the tombs. When he, a man filled with demons, saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? So, you know, maybe the Jews didn't recognize who Jesus was, but demons immediately knew we are in the presence of God. I beg you, do not torment me, for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Now, two things I want you to notice there, and you're going to see it again here in just a minute in verse 31. And they begged him. Jesus in no way was intimidated by 2,000 demons, <laughs> okay? He's one God, 2,000 demons. Jesus is in no way intimidated. He walks up as soon as he sees this man. He had been commanding the unclean spirits to come out. He immediately began to take authority. He immediately began to take control. And the demons were begging Jesus. I do not understand this modern charismatic Christianity that glorifies the power of demons and, and makes demons look all powerful. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I just don't get it. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Now, demons are nothing. Jesus is sovereign God, and he lives within us. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many at that time had seized him and kept him under guard and bound him in chains and shackles, and he would break the bonds and be driven by demons into the desert. So notice, again, characteristics of demon possession, supernatural strength. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion. So notice, 2,000 of them were being a little stubborn with Jesus. What is your name? He said, Legion. For many demons had entered him, and they begged him. Now again, notice. They're not, they're not telling Jesus what to do. They're begging because they know 
they have no choice. They begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. Now, this is obviously not the conservative Jewish section, okay? There, there would not be any pigs around. And they begged him to let them enter these. So Jesus gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Now, can't notice. Demons destroy every bit of life they get around. They had been destroying that man. They got into the pigs. They immediately killed the pigs. I mean, you go, well, why did you want to get in them? You know, why did you want to enter the pig if you were just going to immediately kill it? That's demons. They can't help themselves. It's their nature. When the herdsmen saw what happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man whom Jesus, the demons had gone out, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now notice, he's sitting there. He can again socialize. He can again have social contact. He, he, he is, he's not a danger to himself or to anybody. He's sitting there at the feet of Jesus, clothed. Jesus gives him his dignity back, gets some clothes for him. And in his right mind, this guy is in control of himself again now. And they were afraid. Now, those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes, now this whole area, this whole area, you wonder why Jesus spent no time in Bashan and the whole region of the ten cities. Well, this whole area asked him to depart from them. Now, it wasn't just right there at that seaside. It was people from the surrounding country of the Gerasenes. That whole area asked Jesus to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. Now, can you imagine? You've seen this huge miracle. This man would have been the relative of some of those people. This man would have been the childhood friend of a lot of those people. And they should be rejoicing and happy and clapping and shouting and dancing. Instead, Jesus, please leave. Now, when you put it together with the other Gospels, the reason they didn't want him around, he hurt their business. You know, there are many businessmen, they're willing to be around Jesus until it touches their profitability. When Jesus said, no, I don't want you to be selling that anymore. I don't want you to do business like that anymore. But when you, when you touch people's incomes, people don't want Jesus around anymore. See, people love money and they think a little of God. Jesus said, you'll either love, you'll love the one or you'll hate the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't love both God and money. So they ask him to depart. Now, here's the scary part. So he got into the boat and returned to the other side of the Galilee where people wanted him. Now, to me, that's one of those verses in the Bible that must go down with the saddest verses. One day, I'm, in fact, I've got a little list going, the saddest verses in the Bible. One is when the people of Israel said, we don't want to hear the voice of God, Moses. You go talk to him and tell us what he said. And this is another one. He got into the boat and returned. Jesus said, okay, you don't want me, I'll leave. There could have been great revival on that whole side. All of these Samaritans, all of these half-Jews, all of these Gentiles, they, they, they could have heard truth. So he got into the boat and returned. The man for whom the demons had gone begged him that he might be with him. Of course, man, you've been set free. You want to be, you want to hang out with Jesus. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home. Now, that's fascinating. 
Return to your home. Remember, he hadn't lived in it a long time. Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. You talk about the mercy of God. Here it is, my friend. You reject Jesus, but he leaves a witness with a powerful testimony. Ah, the mercy of God. Here is Jesus. You push him away because you love your pigs, you love your money and your profits more than you, you love him. You push him away. And even as he's rejected, he leaves a witness with a tremendous testimony that they cannot refute just to leave a witness how much God had done for him. We can never underestimate the power of a testimony, how much God has done for you. Now, let's go back to our passage in the Old Testament today. Deuteronomy. Chapter 10, Deuteronomy chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. Deuteronomy 10, beginning with verse 1. At that time, the Lord said to me, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first. Okay, it's time to remake the stone tablets. Now, here's a cute thought. I don't know how biblical this thought is. But you know how when Moses got mad when the people were dancing down there, God never told him to smash those first two tablets. He smashed the first two tablets. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to go, um, yo, God, um, you know those two tablets that you gave me? Um, I broke them. <laughs> I've often wondered what that conversation was like between Moses and God. You say, Pastor, you think strange thoughts. Well, sometimes as a leader, you do think strange thoughts. At that time, the Lord said to me, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first and come up to me on the mountain and make an ark of wood. And I will write on the tablets the words that are on the first tablets that you broke. Now notice that you broke. So th th this is where that first question came from. You broke these, Moses. <laughs> I didn't tell you to, but you broke them. And you shall put them in the ark. So I made an ark of acacia wood and cut two two tablets of stones like the first, and went up the mountain with the two tablets in my hand. And he wrote on the tablets in the same writing as before, the Ten Commandments. Now, the Ten Commandments weren't the totality of all God wanted for them. Remember, I read you earlier five things that God wanted of the people of Israel. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which Jesus said is the greatest commandment. So he wrote on the tablets in the same writing before the Ten Commandments that the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly. And the Lord gave them to me. Then I turned and came down the mountain and put the tablets in the ark that I had made. And there they are as the Lord commanded me. The people of Israel journeyed from Beroth-Benajachan to Meserah. There Aaron died and there he was buried. And his son Eliezer ministered as priest in his place. From there, they journeyed to Gudgoda, and from Gudgoda to Japata, a land with brooks of water. At that time, the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord and minister to him, and to bless his name to this day. Now notice, 
the, the tribe of Levi was set apart. Now, they were set apart for a holy purpose. They were set apart for three things. They were set apart to, number one, carry the Ark of the Covenant, to carry that wooden box made of acacia wood, just like our acacia trees here, that wooden box with the acacia wood, uh, with the tablets inside, to stand before the Lord to minister to him and to bless his name. Now, leaders, let me just give you a thought to think about. I want you to notice that there's a practical work of the ministry, carrying the box, but there's a ministry to God also, to stand before the Lord, to minister to him and to bless his name. One of the things I often teach pastors, and I would teach all of you leaders listening to me this morning the same truth, how much time do you spend ministering to the Lord and blessing his name? See, we, we think of the ministry as focused on the people. But if you're really going to be able to minister to the people, you first have to be in the presence of God and minister to him. Now, now there's just a little thought for you to think about today. Uh, leaders, you need to spend a little bit more time engaged with God. Therefore, Levi has no portion or inheritance with his brothers. The Lord is his inheritance, as the Lord your God said to him. I myself stayed on the mountain, as at the first time, 40 days and 40 nights. And the Lord listened to me that time also. And the Lord was unwilling to destroy you. And the Lord said to me, Arise, go on your journey at the head of the people, so that they may go in and possess the land which I swore to your fathers to give them. Now, notice, as a leader, at the head of the people. Leaders do not lead by people power. Please, no criticism intended but I'm speaking in a colloquial term that we all understand. Leadership doesn't stand behind. Leadership is out front at the head of the people. Now, I'm not a military man. So military people, please don't get upset with me. But I wonder how many less wars would be fought if the generals led like they did in David's time when they were at the front of the battle. Now, before you think that that's a strange thought, think with me of the Lord of the Ring movies. Do you remember where the kings always were? They were at the head of the battle. Do you remember where the demonic, the evil kings were? They were always hidden away. You had to go find them. But true kings were always leading the battle. As pastors, we don't sit back and tell people to go do. We should be out in front leading the people. So at the head of the people, not at the back, at the head of the people, leaders take the danger first so that they may go in and possess the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? All right, here are five requirements that God had of the people of Israel. Number one, to fear the Lord your God. Number two, to walk in all his ways. Number three, to love him. Number four, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Number five, to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I'm commanding you today for your good. Now notice, all the purpose of the commandments was for our good. There is nothing about obedience to the commandments that benefits God. There is not a single commandment God ever gave Israel, and there's not a single thing God ever commands us to do today that is for God's benefit. It is always for our benefit. 
So some of you just need to, to change your attitudes towards some of these Old Testament laws because they were written to benefit Israel. Verse 14, behold the Lord your God, behold to the Lord your God belong the heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth and all that is in it. All right, so what, what belongs to God? Everything. <laughs> the earth and everything that is in it, the heaven and the heaven of heavens. That all belongs to God. So when, when we teach you a principle of stewardship that everything we have God gave us, it's because everything belongs to God. He has the right to give it, and he has the right to take it away and give it to somebody else because it belongs to God. Our, our, the, the number one principle of stewardship is to understand that everything belongs to God. These glasses belong to God. This microphone belongs to God. This Bible belongs to God. This computer belongs to God. The earth and everything in it belongs to God. Now, the day that you remember that is the day that stewardship can begin to grow within your life. But that's, that's a whole other sermon in itself. Verse 15, yet the Lord set his, set his heart in love on your forefathers. I like that. God chose to love and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Now, Here's something that you need to get a hold of. You know, people say, well, you know, the new covenant is different from the old covenant. The old covenant was a circumcision of the flesh and physical obedience. The new covenant was a circumcision of the heart. Well, Romans chapter 2, verse 29. But I want you to notice, no, that's somebody trying to make dispensational theology. God hasn't changed. Jesus was teaching people the truth of what God said. They were the ones who had distorted it. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and no longer be stubborn. He said, now listen, yeah, physical circumcision is a sign of the covenant. Every male needs to be circumcised. It's a sign of the covenant. That was the sign of the covenant that God had with the people of Israel to this day. But he said, you know, physical circumcision is not what gives you a relationship with me. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods, Lord of lords, the great and almighty, the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He said, now this is who God is. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore. Sojourner just means alien. Love the alien, therefore, for you were sojourners or aliens in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name, you shall swear. Now, these are truths of relationship. He is your praise. He is your God. Okay. <laughs> now, I'll let Sister Bev deal with the praise one because that, that's not just one sermon. That's, that's a sermon series. He is your praise. Have you ever just turned to God and said, God, you are my praise. <laughs> you, you'll have to meditate on that one a while today. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, but and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of the heaven. Chapter 11, verse 1.
You shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge. Now, have you noticed as you read through this, you're having to face some of your attitudes about the Old Testament law, that it's not just about a bunch of rules and regulations. It's constantly about relationship. Uh Aha. You shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. And consider today, since I am not speaking to your children who have not known or seen it. He said, all right, I'm talking to you who have seen these things. He said, consider today, consider the discipline of the Lord your God, his greatness, his mighty hand and outstretched arm, his signs and his deeds that he did in Egypt to Pharaoh and the king of Egypt to all his land, and what he did to the army of Egypt, to their horses and to their chariots, how he made the water of the Red Sea flow over them as they pursued after you, and how the Lord destroyed them to this day, and what he did to you in the place of the wilderness until you came to this place. He said, would you just sit back once in a while and think about everything you have seen? Now, please, let me just talk to all of you that have walked this journey for a while together with me. Have you ever just sat down and considered the discipline of the Lord? Considered the times he disciplined you because he loved you? Considered, just sit down and think about his greatness. Think about all the things he has done to deliver you all through the past. You know, we sing the song, all my life you have been faithful. You know, we sing the song. But have you ever just sat down and you forgive me, you have time to do it right now. To sit down and think about the journey. Think about the journey that you have been on. Think about the times God disciplined you. Yeah. Think about the times that God delivered you. Think about all the miracles that you've seen God do. Sometimes, my friends, you just need to sit down and think about these things. Verse six, and what he did to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, the son of Reuben, how the earth opened their mouth and swallowed them up with their households, their tents, and every living thing that followed them in the midst of all Israel. He said, you know, sometimes you need to think about what has happened to the rebels. You know, sometimes you need to think about the people who rebelled. Look at, look at their end. Remember what happened to them. It, it stops rebellion in your heart. Sometimes you need to sit down and think about what was the end of these people. For your eyes have seen all the great work of the Lord that he did. You shall therefore keep the whole commandment that I command you today, that you may be strong and go in and take possession of the land that you are going over to possess. Now notice, all these these commandments are for our benefit. Now just, just take for a minute and be strong. Well, if they didn't follow the sanitation commandments, if they didn't follow the the food dietary commandments in that day without refrigeration, without sanitation, without, forgive me, they would have been a weak, sickly bunch of people, one million people crowded together, moving through the desert. My goodness gracious, can you imagine? One sickness could wipe out the whole bunch of them all at once. They would have not been a powerful fighting force. They would have been a weak, emaciated, sickly, starving bunch of people. And that you may live long in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them and to their offspring, a land flowing with milk and honey. For the land that which you are entering to take possession of is not like the land of Egypt. Now we're going to see something really cool. From which you have come, where you sowed your seed and irrigated it like a garden of vegetables. But the land that you are going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water by the rain of from heaven, a land that the Lord your God cares for. 
The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. Now just back up the bus a minute. When I teach you about the difference between Goshen and the promised land, and I taught you that there comes a time to go to Goshen, and then there's a time to leave Goshen. Goshen is a, a place of refuge during the hard times. But the land of Goshen, the difference between Goshen and the promised land is one gets rain and one requires the hard work of irrigation. So forgive me, in Goshen, you're always gonna be okay, but you're never going to get that far ahead because it takes more work to do everything in Goshen. And you have no inheritance there. You have no long-term destiny there. There's, there's nothing permanent there for you in Goshen. But notice, in Goshen, you had to go get the water and irrigate the crops. In the land of Israel, in the promised land, God said, I will water the crops. We will work together on your prosperity. Ah, so sometimes leaving Goshen's a little hard because, you know, it's a beautiful place. I mean, the land of Goshen is like the delta area of the Nile River as it comes into the sea. It's lush, it's overflowing, it's the most beautiful area in all of Egypt. And that's where they'd lived. He said, now, you're gonna have to understand, Goshen was great, you did all right there, you survived there, you didn't have a permanency there, but you survived there, and you did okay. And you flourished into a million people. But the promised land is different. I'm gonna work with you, I'm gonna water the crops. And if indeed you will obey my commandments that I command you today, to love the Lord your God, to serve him with all your heart, with all your soul, he will give the rain for your land in its season, the early and the latter rains, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. And he will give grass in your fields for your livestock and you shall eat and be full. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> He's going to work with you. He's going to cause everything to grow. See, in your destiny, in your promised land, God sends the rain of the Spirit and causes things to grow. It's not just you working hard. He said, now, when all that happens and you eat and you're full, take care lest your heart be deceived. Now, one of the truths I always teach you from Paul's writings and from here is that with prosperity, you have to be careful of deception. Take care lest your heart be deceived then you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no more rain. In other words, things aren't gonna grow easily anymore. And the land will yield no fruit and you will perish quickly off the good land the Lord your God has given you. So, okay, now notice, there's nothing wrong with the land. The land is good, the problem is you. Now, sometimes, please forgive me, sometimes the business isn't growing and it's not because the business is not good it's not because the idea is not good the problem is with you the lord the good land that the lord has given you the good business that god gave you the good career that god gave you sometimes the problem is me and you because we let our hearts be deceived in a time of prosperity you shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign in your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall teach them to your children, talking about them when you're sitting in the house, when you're walking by the way. We talked about that the other day. And when you lie down and when you rise, lifestyle teaching. 
You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land the Lord swore to your forefathers to give, as long as the heavens are above the earth. For if you will be careful to do all this commandment that I command you today, loving the Lord your God. Now notice the very first commandment, loving the Lord your God. The first commandment is not number one of the ten. The first commandment is this, loving the Lord your God, walking in all his ways, holding fast to him. And notice, see, folks, you always get the idea that the Old Testament was just about a religious ritual, and it wasn't. The way things were laid out, it was about relationship, walking in all his ways, holding fast to him. And then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you, and you will dispossess nations greater, greater and mightier than yourselves. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. Your territory shall be from the wilderness to the, to the Lebanon, and from the river, the river Euphrates, to the Western Sea. No one shall be able to stand up against you. The Lord your God will lay the fear of you and the dread of you on all the land that you shall tread as he promised you. <laughs> uh, Pastor, I don't want people to be afraid of me, but you know what? When you're following God, there will be people who are afraid of you. Hmm. Verse 26, see, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God and turn aside to the way and turn aside from the way that I'm commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, you shall set the blessings on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. Are they not beyond the Jordan, west of the road, going down of the sun in the land of the Canaanites who live in the Arabah opposite Gilgal beside the Oak of Morah? For you are to cross the Jordan and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God has given you. And when you possess it and live in it, you shall be careful to do all the statutes and the rules that I am setting before you today. One of the beautiful truths that we learn as we read through the Old Testament is that it's not just a bunch of rules and regulations. God has never changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God said, I, the Lord, do not change. It's always been about relationship. He's always loved us and wanted us to love him. So maybe lighten up some of your attitudes and realize there's beautiful treasure back here in the laws of Moses. And remember, all these laws were meant to be a school teacher to lead us to Jesus. Father, I bring to you your sons and daughters this morning. I ask, Father, let our hearts of love let our hearts of love be strong. Let us not be deceived. Father, you've been so good to us. We remember the days of poverty when every day was believing you for food. But God, you've been good to us and you've been good to our families. Father, we ask in Jesus' name, let there be no arrogance. You warned of, you told Timothy to warn the rich not to be arrogant. Let there be no arrogance. Let there be no pride. Let there be no deception within our hearts, but let our hearts be strong in love for you. Now, Lord, as we go to work today in our homes, as we go about all of the things that have to be done today, let your hand rest upon your people, Father. Give them success in all they set their hand to. In Jesus' name.
Amen. God bless you. We'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock.